Welcome to Work of Fiction, the podcast that analyzes the fictional organizations you see in movies and TV. Today's episode, Team Transformation with Ted Lasso. I'm Paula Sizik, and today we have one of our Canadian Managing Directors, Erin Cooper. Hello! Along with California Managing Director, Jane Garza. Hello! We're members of Nobel, an organizational design firm that transforms company cultures. And every month, give or take a few months, we take a break from helping real organizations change to discuss fictional leaders and organizations. And I say give or take a few months because this is actually the start of season three of Work of Fiction. So 2020, I think we can all agree, has been a rough year. And I don't think I'm the only one who's been looking for some some comfort, some escapism maybe uh, in the media that I consume which is why Ted Lasso has been such a welcome relief. I saw billboards up around town. I heard people talking about it. Maybe you've heard people talking about it too, but it's it's a really great heartwarming show. Jane, could you give us a little bit of a summary of Ted Lasso? Yes. Yeah, so if you haven't seen it, Ted Lasso is about an American football coach who is brought over to England to coach a struggling football, so soccer, if you're American, what what they call football, there um, at AFC Richmond. Um, he doesn't really have any knowledge of the sport. So he, he knows the American version of football very well, not so much their version of football. Um, and it's a lot of him kind of figuring it out as he goes with the team, the fans, the press. Um, but he has this kind of irrepressible optimism, like a golden retriever kind of energy <laughs> that starts to win people over. So the, the whole show is about him trying to turn the team around. Um, and we're going to be talking about the first three episodes. So spoiler alert for those first three, if you haven't seen them, we're going to be talking about their, them in their entirety. Now, I watched this show initially just because I thought it was a great show. But as I kept watching these episodes, I was actually screaming at my screen because I was like, this is exactly what we do. Someone has captured what Nobel does in terms of transforming an organization, turning around struggling teams. And so I knew that we had to do it. And I think, Erin, you actually had a similar uh, a response to Ted Lasso, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Not not least, which is the, the fact that Ted Lasso is the show that we all needed this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, what Jane said is absolutely uplifting and heartwarming. But also, you know, his his orientation towards his team, to the humans on his team, um, and the way he works in partnership with his leader, with his co-leader, Coach Beard, are just, you know, what we all want and hope for our organizational clients and their teams. And so what we're going to do in this episode is look at some of those relationships and see how Ted transforms the team through building relationships with those different individuals. So a big part of the premise of Ted Lasso is that he is an American football coach, like Jane said, and he's being brought in to coach a completely different sport, which he knows nothing about, other than the fact that both teams are going to play their hearts out 
for four quarters. To, uh... If you're a leader joining a new team, how much do you need to know about their particular expertise in order to be effective at coaching? This is actually something that we hear all the time from clients. They want to know, like, have you worked with a team like us before? Have you worked in this industry? If you're mm -hmm. a new leader being brought in, um, you might be coaching a team that you've never really worked with before in a field you're completely new to. So I'm just wondering, what do you guys think is important when you're brought into this new situation? I, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. So one, I think it, it doesn't hurt. It definitely doesn't hurt to have expertise with a team. Um, but you always have to build that experience somewhere, right? So you're always, someone's always starting at ground zero with no experience as a leader around a certain team. Um, I think it does depend on what layer of the organization you're in too. So the closer you are to the customer, the more it is, the more helpful it is to understand the industry, the way the team operates, what they're trying to accomplish every day. But at the end of the day, a leader's role is to help work get done through other people, right? It's not necessarily to have all the right answers or to point their team in the right direction. It's more to help un unblock them, help them stay motivated, give them a sense of what their overall strategy is. And a lot of that you can do without knowing the intricate nuances of every single industry and piece of your your operation. That's not to say you shouldn't learn it. Like I think it, it feels really tone deaf when a leader comes into an organization and doesn't care to learn how are things done here currently before they start to make changes. So that's a really careful uh, process and you want to make sure that you're not, you're not coming across tone deaf or like you don't want to listen to people or don't want to learn. Um, I think Ted does that pretty well. Like he, he shows that he's listening. He shows that he's trying new things. He shows that he's, um, he shows that he's listening by actually repeating back what he's heard throughout the day. Um, so people actually know that he, he cares about what he's hearing from his team. Hey, look at that. He looks like Rodan sculpture and cleats. Boots. Hmm? They call cleats boots. But I thought you said that the trunk of a car was a boot. Also a boot. Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. I love that. I think another part of it too, you know, to pick up on what Jane said about listening and observing is asking really good questions. And so you see him um, fairly early ask some personal questions or try to get to know people as individuals. And, you know, for me, you know, it's not necessarily that you need to understand exactly how to be the greatest footballer, but it's about helping your, your coachee imagine this best version of themselves and be open to understanding where they are now and then helping them close that gap. So you definitely see that in some of his early interactions with some of the, the footballers on the team, helping them to bridge that gap or build that self-awareness. You know, Erin, I think you actually bring up a really great point in that a lot of times, especially when we see leaders promoted for the first time where they're stepping into a new role, they still want to do the things, right? They're still trying to get in there and work with the team as opposed to doing the work through other people. But that's actually something you can't do on a sports team, right? Ted Lasso is not going to be getting onto the pitch and kicking a ball, mm -hmm. right? So it is actually a really interesting difference between a work team and a professional team. You see people talking about sports teams as a metaphor for work teams all the time. Um, but that's that's something that's really very clearly delineated. At no point will you see a coach actually subbing in for one of the players. Imagine if that happened in the organizational world, in companies when your boss couldn't actually do the thing for you and really had to rely on you to get that uh, ball across the goal line. 
don't know. Sounds, sounds like a lot of people would get a little bit nervous about that. <laughs> so one of Ted's most important relationships is with his boss, Rebecca, who took a big chance by hiring a relative unknown. Prior to this, Ted has really only coached, again, American football and like a, a junior amateur league. So how does he start building trust with her and demonstrating that he's taking this seriously, that he wants to build trust with her? Well, one of the first things we see uh, Ted do is uh, bring cookies or biscuits uh, to Rebecca, as he, as he phrases it, biscuits with the boss. Where did you get these? Well, I'm glad you like them. You know what? I'll start bringing these to you every morning. Call biscuits with the boss. That really isn't necessary. Okay, well, mark this down as the first time we disagree then. Actually, no, second time. Uh, tea is horrible. Absolute garbage water. So a little bit of a, a little bit of an offering, but if you notice how he lingers and uses it as a chance to open up the conversation, it's a bit of a Trojan horse in terms of bringing in those biscuits. And uh, those seem to hit the spot. In fact, she's quite excited about those biscuits, even though she portrays that she isn't interested in those biscuits. So again, just to clarify, we're saying don't necessarily bake biscuits or other baked goods for your boss. Although, hey, if you're a great baker, go for it. Um, again, when we can all meet together in one office in the future. Um, but creating space, if yes, you will. Creating exactly. To build yeah. that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think intention around it, too. Like, I think he does a good job of communicating why it's important to him. Um, as many times as she's she tries to blow him off, I think he keeps coming back to like, oh, but this is why I want to have a relationship with you and why it's important. And that matters a lot, too. It doesn't come natural to everyone that you have strong personal relationships inside the office. Um, and sometimes you have to advocate for yourself and advocate for why those things matter um, in the long run of what you're trying to accomplish together. Did you guys notice that Ted actually did a check-in with Rebecca? Ted, we're going to start simple. Real easy, real easy one. We're going to do uh, first concert, best concert. You go ahead and go first. Go. Right off the, back. Uh, the Spice Girls and... Uh... The Spice Girls. Same ants for both? Oh, I love that. Ted, uh, at one of his Biscuits with the Boss, he does like a little bit of an icebreaker and asks, first concert, favorite concert? Paula. <laughs> what, what's your answer? Uh, my first concert was Lilith Fair. And mm. my favorite, it was the 90s. And my favorite concert is, I don't actually like concerts. I've never liked concerts. <laughs> Uh, that was like one of my last concerts as well. Aww. Aaron. Aaron, first concert. Favorite oh gosh, concert. I'm gonna date myself myself here, folks. Uh, first concert is the Cult during the Sonic Temple tour. I believe it was 1989. Um, you might have to Google that, both of you. And uh, favorite concert or best concert, definitely highlight for me uh, was Arcade Fire at the Gorge in George Washington. Mine's uh, Arcade epic, Fire. Epic evening. <laughs> uh, mine is also Arcade Fire. Uh, first concert. Mine was kind of like late. I feel like a lot of people went to like middle school concerts. I feel like a lot of my friends hey. have a first of like Britney Spears or NSYNC. Mine was The Format, which is a small pop punk band. <laughs> um, Are you and- serious? You know The Format? Yeah. The yeah. Format is from Phoenix originally. Oh, I think I knew that. Yeah. Um, it was a great first concert. Very lively. And then favorite concert is also Arcade Fire. We um, got the tickets from someone else who couldn't go. So it was kind of like a surprise favorite concert, too. It was really good. They put on a great show. Yeah. Definitely go see them. Yes. A great Canadian band, I just want to add. (laughs) 
So what's what's the point? Like, why even bother talking about things like concerts, which have theoretically nothing to do with sports strategy, with getting the actual work done? Why bother? I think there's this really great moment uh, in the show where Ted talks about how um, at the end of the day, he's talking to a reporter and they're talking about like whether he's going to win or lose. Me? I love coaching. Now, I'm going to say this again, just so you didn't think it was a mistake the first time I said it. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And it ain't always easy, Trent. But neither is growing up without someone believing in you. And it's really refreshing because it's so easy to forget that when you're in the midst of work, right? You care about each project. Really, the things that will stick with you are the relationships that you have with the people around you. It's not, the the big project that you like worked all, all weekend on is not going to stick with you. Um, and I think that's one of the core reasons why is like it's rewarding. It's really rewarding to have deep relationships with the people that you work with and not just have it feel transactional. That's one reason that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think it's just adding the the context that there's a human on the other side of the desk that this is also a person who had a first concert. This is also a person who really enjoyed this amazing show at, at outdoor theater. And uh, you share that, that moment with them, or you can feel yourself in that moment with them. And just realizing that we're all just people trying to do a good job with all of our many flaws and foibles. You know, people are always looking for connection. They're always looking for what they have in common. I promise we did not plan that conversation ahead of time. Uh, we didn't know that two people in this group both really loved Arcade Fire and would list that as their favorite concert. I certainly had no idea that Jane knew the format, which was playing on the uh, indie station when I was growing up in <laughs> Phoenix. So just by having these conversations, by asking questions and getting to know people a little bit better, you start to understand who they are, how they think, what's important to them and it makes it easier to get the work done so it might seem like oh this is just a waste of time right like let's get it down to brass tacks uh so taking a moment to ask those questions can really start to build personal relationships as well as psychological safety within your team ted isn't just interested in his personal relationship with rebecca although as his boss it's very important to him he also wants her to show up for the team, right? He invites her down to come and cheer on the team, to, to make an appearance in the locker room. I know it would mean a lot to the guys if y'all just came down, joined in. Let them know you're still in the corner. How do you get bigwigs involved, though, when their schedules are so packed? Rebecca immediately brushes it off and say, like, oh, no, no, I couldn't. I'm much too busy. How do you, how do you make sure they do show up? They are there for the moments that matter with the organization at large. I think you have to remind leaders as to why they're there and what impact their presence has. And if they, you know, if, if their goal is to have a winning team and they have a role in that through their presence and through making the players feel like they matter, then showing up is actually how they get what they want. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I, I think start with why, like why, they do have a jam-packed calendar, most likely, right? So how do you weight this moment in that calendar as more important than any other one? Um, and connecting it back to the why is super important. Like, what follow-on effects do we think this will have? Um, you joining or not joining the session? I think in particular, the way that Ted talks about this in the show, is it something around the team's motivation? 
um, and getting the team motivated to win. And obviously that like, that's something that she wants or would hypothetically want as the, the head of the, the owner of the team. Yeah. And you do see over the course of the season, she actually does start getting more involved with the team. She starts showing up for their karaoke nights. And not only does it, I think, transition from being just one more thing she has to do, right? Like something that she's supposed to be doing as the leader of the team. But again, she starts building those relationships too. And she starts really enjoying being part of this larger organization. There is a great quote from Ted later in the season. Ted, Ted. Hey, you got to see the way I see it, okay? Everybody in this building, part of the team, part of AFC Richmond. Team's got a bond, all right? I mean, heck, Higgins and I are having lunch today. Oh, yes, we're having salads in my office. And I think that's a really important idea for people to carry forward. If you're a leader, how are you making space? How are you being inclusive of everybody in the organization, making sure everybody is driving towards that same goal? Yeah, I think it's also to your point, Paula, I do think it helps to personally, if you're a leader who's deciding whether or not to have these moments with your team, check in with yourself personally on what'll take it from forced fun to like something you actually want to do. What will help you feel motivated? Because if you're showing up out of a mandatory, like, I have to be here, everyone's going to pick up on that, you're going to hate it, you're not going to want to do it. Like, I, I think it just really helps to kind of rethink your own motivations for why you might want to have deeper connections with your team too. Another crucial relationship that Ted has to win over is Roy Kent, the team captain and resident curmudgeon who hates that he's being coached by Ronald fucking McDonald. How do you connect with skeptics, right? We see this at every organization we go into. There's at least one person who stands back, who is upset, who, who doesn't believe that anything is going to change. So how do you start to win those people over? I think you do exactly what Ted did. He didn't try to convince Roy that things are going to be different this time, that he's got the experience, he knows what he's doing. He didn't approach Roy in that way. But what he did do is show Roy that things were going to change. And he did that with his actions and not with just with his words. So when we see Roy and the other footballers step into that shower at the end of, uh, of season two, um, uh, just from the waist up, I'll, I'll add. Um, <laughs> this is see- a family friendly show. This is a family show, just checking. Um, you see them blown away by the shower pressure. Careful, son. The gap has fixed the water pressure. Almost uh, one of them actually quite literally because Ted has taken their feedback seriously and he has made change. And I also have to say, I also have to say, I really love Roy Kent. And if you watch the entire series, there is a bit of a chant that I will hold back from singing, which happens near the end of the season uh, around Roy Kent's name. Ooh, I there can't are... wait. <laughs> I'm not that far yet. Oh, sorry. Because it is a at least British show or a British setting, I feel like they get away with some terminology, which you wouldn't necessarily see in an American show. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing Ted does is there's a conflict in the show that Roy, after Roy starts to get a sense of like, okay, Ted is solving problems, Roy comes to Ted with this problem. And Ted's response is like, actually, no, I'm not going to solve it for you. The teacher tells a bully not to pick on someone, it's just going to make it worse. So you're not going to do anything. 
um, because he knows that that won't help having like the head of the, the leader necessarily step into every problem on a team doesn't actually help solve it. And what it ends up doing is kind of forcing Roy into an ownership position, right? So instead of being the skeptic on the side, he now has to meddle and he has to create the change and he, he has to take it into his own hands, which I think is kind of magical and some really good leadership uh, coaching. It's like, do another question to ask yourself if you're a leader, is this a moment for you to step in or is this a moment for someone else to be stepping in and how do you help influence that? And they don't necessarily have to like it. There's, there's another mm-hmm. great scene. I, I agree with you, Aaron. I think Roy Ken is a hilarious character. Um, when he realizes, like he he's aware of what Ted is doing and he understands that Ted is trying to get him to step up and be a, le- a leader and he kind of hates it. Mrs. Witch's voice was grave. What do you understand? That it has to be me. It can't be anyone else. Fuck! That's a bad word, Uncle Roy. I will mind your own business, Phoebe. He hates the fact that he is recognizing the need to be a leader, to set the standard, and to let the team know what's going to be acceptable, to actually live up to his title as captain. But he still does it, which I think is a very... It's a great testament to Ted's very subtle coaching style. Mm-hmm. And again, an example of him showing or helping Roy to understand where he needs to be and exposing the gap for, between where he is now and where he needs to be, and then putting that ownership back on Roy to do so. And isn't that really what coaching comes down to, right? It is helping people grow as individuals. Ted does a really great job. He wins Roy over, but he really still struggles to connect with Jamie Tart, who is the rising star on the team. How should a new leader approach a star player who thinks, you know what, they're too good, they don't need the rest of the team, and they certainly don't need advice from you? Um, it's tough because I with I feel like with motivation, what you're looking for is what what that person wants, right? Like, what, what do you want that'll get you to do the thing that I need you to do? Uh, in Jamie's scenario, ideally, he would want to be on a winning team. Um, but I think he doesn't have the personal growth to know that it takes more than just him being a star in order to be on a winning team, right? It takes the whole team being in good unison together. I think Ted does a good job of trying to expand that for Jamie. But again, he's got a really, um, to your point, Paula, he's got a really like nuanced way of coaching. So it's slow and it's paced and he's not going to like, he's not going to keep hitting that nail with Jamie. He just kind of slowly inches towards it episode by episode, that's kind of the key is like connecting it back to the big picture and what that person ultimately wants to achieve. I also think it's great that when Ted realizes that he's struggling to connect with Jamie, he doesn't just stew over it. He actually goes and seeks out help, Mm -hmm. right? He goes and talks to Rebecca, his boss, to figure out, hey, what is it that makes him tick? He talks to Keely, who is Jamie's girlfriend, and she's the one who actually says, you know, he does a really great job with positive reinforcement. You know, he does well with praise. Make make sure that you're really positive with him. And we see him employ that. I can honestly say you are the best athlete I have ever coached. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I work hard, yeah. I see it. You are truly great at everything you do out there. Except for one thing. My left foot cross. No. 
Jamie, I think that you might be so sure that you're one in a million that sometimes you forget that out there you're just one of 11. And if you just figure out some way to turn that me into us, whew, sky's the limit for you. So what can we take away from that? How do we employ positive reinforcement in the organization? I think you have to do it the way Ted does it, which is be really specific and be really genuine in terms of how you're giving it. It can't just be like, you're the best, you're great. These are people who hear this all the time. He speaks very slowly and he looks Jamie in the eye and he tells him he's the best player he's ever coached. And he lets that land. And then he tells him what he actually needs to do in order to be his new version of himself. And I think that kind of genuine and specificity and not using so many words and just letting the compliment land are really effective in letting somebody actually feel that they've been given a compliment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it effectively makes it feel like a different conversation than one they've had before, right? Like Ted isn't joking. He's not making puns like he normally is. It's like quieter, slower, more focused. He really makes it a big moment. Um, in the aim to make it a big moment for Jamie's, for like his own development. The interesting thing, Paula, you were talking about like, yeah, you should, you should ask other people what, you know, what they might know about your direct report so that you can, to help you motivate them and help you figure out how to best work with them. On the show, this didn't seem like a problem, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, that is a total invasion of privacy to go ask someone's partner <laughs> how to motivate that person. Definitely don't do that. Um, it seemed really normal, I guess, on a soccer team, but or a football team, but that I highly, highly object to that in the workplace. So this is awkward because before this episode, I reached out to each of your <laughs> partners and I got, and I got some suggestions on how to make this a really engaging activity for you. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But I, I do think it is really important. I mean, this is something that actually we do internally as a team. We'll come together every Monday and have a session we call timely challenges, where if you're struggling with a topic, if you if you're if there's something that you haven't figured out uh, a way to approach it with a client, with a team, if there's an issue that you're struggling to work out individually, you can get the collective wisdom of the group to help you work through it. So I think it's really important to realize that just because you are a leader, it doesn't mean that you have to have all of the answers. Ted also seems to have a really good eye for underutilized talent. He works with both Nate, who is the equipment manager, or I guess they call him Kitman, as well as Sam, who is a, a recent addition to the team, originally out of the Nigerian league, who seems to be struggling a little bit at the, at the beginning. How do you connect as a leader with overlooked or underappreciated talent? Oh, I mean, I feel like these people are just dying for it, right? Folks who are underappreciated or overlooked are just, they're like, <laughs> this is only a metaphor, plant thirsty for water is what came to my mind. Um, but yeah, I think they're just dying for some, not just positive reinforcement of like, you're doing the right things, but also feedback. Like everyone wants to grow. And when you're overlooked, it's painful. You just feel like you're not, you're not developing. You start to wonder why you're even on this team. Is it actually helping your own professional goals? Um, so that, that, that's huge. It's just time and attention, like true time and attention for teams that don't, haven't had it before, um, goes a, a long way. And I can imagine 
on this team in particular, all of the attention, again, has been going to Jamie, right? That star player for so long. When you do start to even out the distribution of attention, it does, again, start to create a feeling of, oh, we're actually a team. We're all in this together. Mm. It's not just all up to Jamie. Not surprisingly, AFC Richmond's first game with Ted as coach is a total blowout. They lose 4-2-1. It's not very pleasant. How do you deal with your first failure? If you are a leader as much as you'd like it to be, chances are you're not going to knock it out of the park, to use another sports metaphor, on your first go. So so how do you convince people that that's not the whole ball game? That's right, full of sports metaphors today. <laughs> I appreciate your mixing of, of sports, especially Paula, um, in 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 your metaphors. Um, I, I think you know the the first thing is that everybody deals with failure a little bit differently, and giving some people the space and time to process that as individuals. I mean, it is a team, but all of us have, or everybody on the team has tried their their best, and is is feeling a bit sore and a feeling a bit wounded by that loss. And so he does give people some space. Um, and some time to deal with it on their own before it's a, oh, okay, don't worry, we'll get him next time kind of thing. Because you need some, you need a little bit of, uh, you need a minute to kind of sit with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- it's like, I feel like you need to, you have to complete that cycle of like, you failed, that sucks, let's feel it for a minute, complete that feeling and then move on to the next thing before you just, you just tell people to like, buck up and move on. Um, I don't think that's a healthy behavior. And it it comes off um, like really disconnected from how your team is feeling because they're likely not ready to move on. So it's okay to like wallow for a second um, and then have a plan of attack for what's next, right? Like the next day probably, or maybe the next week, if if your team failed on a Friday, right? Come back at it on Monday or Tuesday and start to think about, okay, that happened. Here's what we're going to do about it. Here's what we learned. That's another piece of failure is hopefully you learn something. Um, that's kind of the best part about failure, right? Is that it's hopefully teaching you some lessons that you can take with you to that next iteration. So when he's looking for new ideas, he actually turns to Nate because Nate seems to have an idea. And he said, Ted says, give it a shot. What you going to use my play? Yeah. I mean, we're going to try it on, see if it fits, you know, it might not. Then again, it might be a very flattering silhouette. I might wear it right out of the store. How can you as a leader adopt this approach to, again, coming back from failure, trying new things with your team and building on it? I think what's interesting is um, that he looks to somebody who has a different perspective on things that can shed some new light on it. And quite often at Nobel, we, you know, we say the person who's closest to the problem is best suited to fix it. And so it's about looking for those people who might have a different perspective, who might be a little bit closer, who might have been on the sidelines of every single game for the last season and asking them what they might change versus going to the captain who's been too in it to see a new path forward. I feel like there's this like myth of magical visionary leaders that always have the right answer. <laughs> like they always know how the product should be designed or what the strategy should be or what to try after a big failure. And there might be some people out there like that. There are, I'm sure there are, but that's not the majority of us. And a lot of good ideas come from a collective and from folks who haven't been hurt before. And I think that's what Ted does really well is emphasizes the collective doesn't let his ego get in the way and is always asking what other people think a good solution is versus feeling like he has to have every answer and solution. 
I could see myself in his scenario being really obsessed with like proving myself because <laughs> I'm new. I'm in a new country. I'm I'm <laughs> coaching a new sport. Like, but it none of that seems to get in the way. Um, and he does a really good job of coaching coaching all those good ideas from others. You can see that he's not deriving his you know his sense of ego from the winnings of that team, which is he- good because they don't have a lot and he is often referred to as a wanker by the fans. To the fans at home, we do apologize for the fruity language. Yeah, I mean, it's dangerous to wrap your entire identity up with the output or outcome of your team. And instead, he, you know, rests on his identity being being a good coach and being a, a good human to his team. And uh, and because of that, he's able to withstand the ups and downs and the uh, occasional wanker slur being uh, <laughs> tossed at him in pubs on the street and on social media. I think that actually is a great segue to how do you deal with this as a leader, right? Ted's, he's actually dealing with a lot in his personal life. He's going through a divorce. He's separated by his kid from thousands of miles. How do you maintain your own sanity when you're leading a team through change? And maybe you're dealing with your own changes. There's a great moment in the show where um, his wife comes to visit him and no one stops calling him a wanker. (laughs) No one cares. (laughs) Um, They still do it in front of his wife. Um, And this happens also in that show, Friday Night Lights. And the response is like, "Eh, she's a coach's wife. Like she's seen it before. And I kind of love that mentality of like, eh, people are going to be upset at me for my job and it's not a big deal. And we let it roll off our backs and we don't, you know, we don't, to what Aaron was just saying in the last question, we don't hold our own value based on the immediate public's reaction or the the latest reaction from the thing that we did. Um, I think that's such an important thing to remember with at work. Like, how do you, where do you hold yourself valuable? What, what makes you feel like you did a good job at the end of the week or year? And for Ted, it seems like it's much more around coaching people through change and getting the most out of them. That's the rewarding part for him. So I think he feels like he fails when he doesn't get to do that. And he feels like he succeeds when he gets to do that versus being super connected to like what the public is screaming at him that day. So really defining success by your own metrics. Yeah, I think the other thing he does, um, which is is actually using humor. And he uses humor to disarm tense situations. And uh, he uses humor to just kind of get through the day. You see him making jokes and uh, making things feel a little bit lighter than they are. But he also has a really great asset in Coach Beard. And Coach Beard offers him a mirror as to... Um, how he's showing up. So you do see Ted struggling with some things and Coach Beard is always there to really call him on it and to offer up that perspective of this is how you're showing up right now. Yeah, the relationship that he has with his number two, essentially, Coach Beard, I think is one of the highlights of the show. I think Coach Beard is hilarious. And it's also a very taciturn relationship. There's not actually a lot of talk per se that occurs between the two. So how do you build that relationship with your number two? How you build relationships, usually through some sort of shared experiences. So often, you know, working on a really tough problem together and coming on the other side. Um, But also, honestly, a really, really, really good dinner 
is enough to get you pretty far in terms of building a relationship with somebody else. And so in absence of being able to dine together, uh, bonding over uh, pictures of food and wine that each of you might have enjoyed or travel or things that you both uh, care about or, or care deeply about. Last question, we always do it. We have been brought in by Ted Lasso. He has asked us to consult for AFC Richmond. What would we recommend the team do? Where would we go first? I get the sense that this team doesn't know each other very well and that most of their interactions are locker room banter and whatever happens out on the pitch. So I would offer the uh, manual of me as a way to answer some questions about themselves and to learn a little bit more about their teammates. And that can include questions like, how do you like to receive feedback, which obviously post-game would be a good thing to know about your uh, team. I thought you were going to say something like, how do you like to receive the football? And I was like, well, you know, like a header or some people maybe prefer to, you know, at the feet. Um, glad you clarified that. All right, Jane, what would you suggest that we, we talk about with AFC Richmond? Yeah, I think um, we're, we're recording this in December. We're ending 2020 right now. I think a lot of teams that might be in this position where maybe you've had some failures, you have some new members, you have some unknowns for next year. This is a good time to reflect on what you did this year, what worked, what didn't, what you want to take with you to the next year, and what you hope to accomplish as a team together. So just kind of like setting some really clear intentions for how we want to operate. We could go on and on about the great team building lessons the show shares, everything from establishing team rituals and having difficult conversations to promotions, leadership, succession. But unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. So I want to thank you for listening to Work of Fiction. Don't forget to subscribe for future updates and leave us a rating if you liked what you heard. You can find more episodes or get in touch with us at workoffiction.fm. Let me see.